God, we thank you for this text. Uh, God, this is an odd text tonight, and it's just a unique text, and there's nothing like it in the whole Bible. It's just, and I know that's the way with every text, but this is, this is such a unique thing tonight, Lord, that's going to capture our attention, and I just pray, God, that we are able to figure this out and, and apply it to our life, and especially as we see what's going on with David, but especially what's going on with Saul in our text tonight. I just pray that you'd be glorified as we study your word. And, uh, and yeah, that it would just really be a good challenge for us as we learn to wait your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are in, let me get this down here. Sorry, I'm just going to have to rearrange my screen just a little bit. I've got the chat thing on. I've got the participation thing on in case anyone else joins. Okay, so we are in 1 Samuel 27 and 28. And starting in chapter 27, David's going to spend the whole rest of the book of 1 Samuel with the Philistines. He's going to be like five straight chapters as an exile in uh, the nation of Philistia, the Philistines. And it is... It's not going to be a fun time for him, I don't think, because he's, well, there's a verse that, that plagued me last week in our text, and it was, it's at the top of your page here, is from 1 Samuel 26, 19, the second part of that, or 26, 19b, and I did, I, I feel like I didn't explain it too well, and I'm, I'm almost glad I didn't, because it becomes real in our text today, so it says, and he, he's complaining to Saul, and he's trying to, last week he was arguing with Saul, letting him know, hey, you know what, why are you chasing me around, leave me alone, it doesn't make any sense, you know, but he says, they have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance, and have said, go serve other gods. Now, I thought that seemed a little overreacting last week, I didn't really play with it last week, but where is David going to go? He's going to go to the land that is not Yahweh's land. It's going to be the Philistine god Dagon. He's going to go to the Philistine land, and he's going to go to the place where it's going to be expected that he would worship their gods, and the land that is not the promised land anymore. He's going to be going to a different area where it's going to be a different king, a different religion, all these things, and so the impression is, is that he's going to go serve other gods, even though and so the temptation is, will he? When he leaves the country, is he going to stay faithful to God, to his God, Yahweh, the Lord? Or is he going to do otherwise? Is he, is he going to start serving the other gods? And so he's complaining to Saul, like, listen, because of all this, I got to leave. And I'm tempted to get out of here. And, and so it's going to be like that for me, like I'm, like I'm serving other gods. What's going on here? So David's got three scenes. Saul's got three scenes. Let's just open here in 1 Samuel 27, David scene 1, 1 to 7. But David said to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. Now, that's actually a big statement because last week we looked at two different times. Or no, excuse me, two weeks ago we looked at two different times where David could have killed Saul. And last week we looked at the story with Abigail where uh, David, you know, it's like he, he was, he was going to go, someone irked him, some guy named Nabal irked him, and he was going to go have at it with him. And Nabal's wife came and cooled him down and, and stopped David from turning into Saul. And David realizes, oh, yeah, God can take care of my problems. He can fight my battles. And, uh, yeah. And 
But here he is in chapter 27, realizing, you know what, if this keeps going, he's going to eventually get me. At some point, Saul's going to get me. So one of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I'll slip out of his hand. So David and the 600 men left with him left and went to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Finally, there it is. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns, that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. So we remember in our first lesson in this series, David ran from Saul. Saul tried to kill him, and he runs. And he runs to the priests at a town called Nob. Or Nob. And uh, he eventually runs to the city of Gath. And he, he, he's, he doesn't really know what to do, so he pretends he's an insane man. He's got like spit dribbling down his beard. And this very Akish is like, I got enough crazy guys. Why do I need one more? Get him out of here. And so now he's back. And once again, he's trying to find refuge with this Akish guy. And the first time didn't end well. But the second time, well, um, Akish is not stupid. And he's realizing, okay, David is back. He must not be getting along with his master, Saul. So maybe I can drive a wedge in there and maybe I can take advantage of this David coming over here because this David's already killed one of our big guys. He's already got the reputation. If we can have him on our side, I think that'll be a good thing. So Akish is going to play a different game this time. He's going to bring, he's going to welcome David with open arms. And, uh, and it's, he realizes that this conflict with him, with, with, with Saul and David, is just not going away. So he's like, I'm going to take advantage of this. And so Ziklag, that's the, the, think about, they always say, keep your, keep, what, what's the old line? Keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. It would make a lot of sense for David to stay in the, in the, in the city with the king. But David is not just David. Last time he was just David. This time he's David plus a bunch of awesome guys, a big fighting force and their families. David is like a small country coming over, like a nomadic tribe just coming on over. And so this Akish guy is going to get him the heck out of Dodge. He's like, I got him. I got him here, but let's put him over there. And from David's standpoint, that's a win-win. It's like, okay, um, I'm here. Saul's not going to find me anymore. And I get to have my alone time. I can do whatever I darn well please now because I don't have someone looking over my shoulder. I can then go and have at it, and that's what he's going to do. And the interesting thing here, you'll find this in, in, Joshua's, in Joshua 15, and we'll get to the, the worksheet here in just a second. Uh, if you look in Joshua 15, it's breaking up the allotments for the tribes as they conquer the promised land. And they have a lot of the things they gotta, that, that, that they're given. Each tribe gets certain things, and Judah gets a city called Ziklag. And once they get their allotments, then go conquer them and go drive the enemy out and take a hold of your promised land. So the fact that Ziklag is occupied by the Philistines means that 
Judah did not handle their business in the time of Joshua. They didn't drive everybody out. So, uh, so here he is. Um, I like what the narrator says on verse six, and the city has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. So kind of a cool side note here, uh, because of David, the tribe of Judah gets that city finally, because they don't, I don't think they ever really got it. They weren't able to drive the people out because the Philistines are here right here. So uh, kind of a cool thing. Akish is going to think David is raiding the southern areas of Judah, and but David is going to do otherwise. We're going to get there in a second. So on the sheet here, number one, David engages in self-conversation and decides in a logical course of action. So our, 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 our class tonight is called How Will You Move Forward? And we're in this time of waiting, and we don't really know. We're probably, our state is probably going to be the last state to open up. It just seems that way. Illinois is just marching by a different drum. And maybe all the other churches and all the other states are going to be opening up and all these things. And then there's going to be us. And so we might just be waiting again. And we might just be continuing to just kind of hitting pause. And we're just kind of in, a, in, a, in neutral, not able to go forward. And that's just the way life is right now. And so the questions we're going to ask is, so when you're in trouble, where do you turn? And what attitude do you have? And what decisions are you going to make? And finally today, how are you going to move forward? And so David engages in self-conversation. You see what it says? David thought to himself. Now, Disney did us wrong. And uh, I believe the Disney movie is Pocahontas. And Mother Willow tells Pocahontas, follow your heart. I share with you, my friends, don't ever follow your heart. Your emotions are, um, how do I put this? We just turned the air conditioning on recently because it got hot. And so you set your thermostat. And for so many people, your emotions are your thermostat. Like, okay, I'll set it and this is what it's going to happen. I'm just going to follow my emotions and my emotions are going to be my thermostat. They're just going to guide me in how I go. Or maybe like my GPS when, when you uh, get directions to go somewhere and it tells you where to go. And I put to you that your emotions, your heart should be more of a thermometer, not a burn, not, not a, not a, um, not a GPS. It's, it's not something where you want to set your gauge. It's something where it might reveal what's going on with you. But it's not a good thing to follow. So David doesn't do that here. David doesn't follow his heart. David starts having this kind of conversation. And when you're tempted to follow your heart, I put this to you instead. A great thing I've learned in biblical counseling is rather than follow your heart, talk to yourself. And whenever you're thinking these things, like, oh, say, here, here's an example. Oh, I'm just, I'm just so, you know, overweight and worthless and nobody loves me, blah, blah. Okay, your heart's telling you all these things. Instead, talk to yourself. It's like, you know what? No. And when you talk to yourself, you're talking to yourself the promises of God. And so a, a good example is I feel so alone. I feel so lonely. Talk to yourself. But you're not alone. Christian, you are never alone. God said that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So talk to yourself. Don't just follow your heart wherever your heart's going to take you hither and yon. It's good to talk to yourself, but talk to yourself with the very word of God, standing on those very promises that God's given you. And see, David here, he's thinking to himself. He's like, you know what? I don't know what's going on here, but one, if I keep doing the same thing over and over again, I'm, I'm going to die. I got to get out of here. So he's trying to figure out a logical course of action. And so rather than just following his heart, he's using his intellect. He's using his mind here. And number two, David follows the logic with diplomacy. And so David gets a safe home base. 
and David shows up and he's got a place to stay. And, and God, God's not really there in the text, but we've learned in the, from the book of Esther that when God seems absent, he's not absent. And we see what happens. And just like Esther kept finding favor with the king, David's finding favor here. And so God is at work and God's, uh, God is, is using David and his choices. And we're going to see a great contrast with Saul. Saul is just going to just follow his emotional outbursts. And we're going to see what he's going to do in the next chapter. And we're going to be a lot of Saul this week. Okay, David's chapter is really small. Saul's chapter is big, but it's really interesting. It's maybe the most interesting chapter in the entire Bible. You may not find one more interesting than this next chapter. I'm just saying. But that's David's scene one. And David is now in, in, in Philistine land. And scene two is eight to 12. Now David and his men went up and raided the, the, the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times, these peoples had lived in the land extending to Shur in Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or a woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes. Then he returned to Achish. When, when Achish asked, hey, where would you go raiding today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, against the Negev of, of Jeremiah. And the Hebrew there, is, he, it keeps bringing a word that means south. And so what Akish wants to know is, he wants to know, is David attacking a southern thing? Because the biggest thing that for the Philistine land, the, the southern part of Judah was like the number one thing near them. And so it'd be, it'd be kind of like if Canada was up against us, it's the country right next to our north. Like, okay, so that's the country right next to his north. So he keeps using this, 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 uh, this Negev, it kind of means south, like, it's really similar to the word for south. So he, I'm in the southern parts of the, and so David is just saying just enough to get Akish not asking any more questions against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say this is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Akish trusted David and said to him, he's become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he'll be my servant for life. Don't you like it when they, when you know, when, when you as the reader know more than the characters, kind of a cool feeling. Number three here, David used shrewdness to ingratiate himself to his Philistine overlord. And yeah, this is another one of those times where it's okay, he's lying again. There's David is just not telling the truth again. And you know, that, that's, that's a fair point. It's uh, there, there's times in scripture where, where we look at the, the heroes and we're like, what are you doing that for? And, but this is the, the Bible's not explaining away these things. The Bible doesn't spend too, too much longer on Rahab either. Remember her, the, 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 the 12 men with the spy on Canaan, she hid the spies and lied about it. And, and she ended up smelling really well in that whole thing. The Bible doesn't sit there and just, and just beat upon everybody for their decisions all the time. And we learned this last week with the whole David, you know, having multiple wives. It's like, the Bible doesn't pause there and say, hold on, let's just now make a, a great moral argument here. And it just doesn't do that. And so David, a, a, an original reader of this text would be saying something like this. Boy, those Philistines are bozos. Golly, David's got him again. First of all, he pretended to be a crazy guy and got out of Dodge. Now he's coming back and playing both sides against the middle. David's a genius and these guys are idiots. That's what an original, re so this whole, this whole thing is, is making God's people, uh, God, God's, the enemies of God's people not look too grand.
And David used this position to be Judah's defender against the desert marauders. So Achish thinks David's raiding the, the, the southern Judah, but David instead is, is assaulting the enemies who are troublesome to Judah. Achish thinks David is burning his bridges with his own people, but David is actually protecting his own people. And think about that for a second. And we're going to get this when we look at the Saul chapter. Saul has spent a lot of time chasing David around the country and saying, well, David's my enemy and I got to go kill him. No, Saul, you had an enemy. The Philistines. Why, oh, why were you not spending all that time taking care of your kingly business instead of your selfish things you're going after? So David in exile, his choices are protecting the people that he's not even king over yet. That's pretty cool. Look how God's using David and his choices. And in the midst of this, how, how does David move forward? Well, it's in the blue here. Uh, David carefully made a thoughtful decision, and he trusted God with the results. And here's something for us to take home. David did the next best thing. So when you want to ask yourself, well, how do I move forward? And I'm going through all these things, and I've got so much stress, and I've got do the next best thing. But there's so many things, okay, best well, it's overwhelming. I don't know what to do. I don't know what the next thing is. Okay, well, I was, I'm going off of fumes today. I, I did not, I don't think I slept at all last night. Last night was just a very odd night. I've got this thing that the doctors refuse to treat because I have other things that the medicine for the other things will get in the way for treating this new thing. This new thing is called RLS. Have you ever heard of that? restless leg syndrome. So like if, I, if I'm sitting there trying to get to sleep, every 40 seconds, my foot wants to do this. And I have to fight it because it'll keep me up. And it kept me up last night for hours. It was horrible. It was the worst I've ever had. And I remember they're laying, laying there in bed because I've got, I've got things I can do. I've got, I've got sprays I try to use like a magnesium spray. I've got, you know, creams I can try to put on. My last resort is to go take a really hot shower and try to get everything calmed down with your muscles or whatnot, but it was just horrible. It was so bad that my dreams, if I was having dreams, I didn't know if I was sleeping or not, because my dream, if they were dreams, was, yeah, you're not sleeping. This is all a bunch of bozo. Was, so my dream was working against me. So I'm thinking the whole time, I'm not sleeping at all. And so what I began to realize what this, this restless leg was like, it was like anxiety, but anxiety for my body. So you, people who are, who are anxious and they're like, their insides are going like crazy like this. Well, that was my feet. My feet are going crazy. And, and I'm like, okay, wow. And so I'm thinking to myself, do the next best thing. Okay, if I'm going to be up all night, I'm not, I'm not going to leave my head off the pillow. I'm going to sit here. I could be messing around on my phone or something. But you know what? Let's pray. Let's think about life. Let's think about what God's doing and do the next best thing. I don't know if I ever got to sleep last night. And I just don't know. I woke up very tired. If I woke up, I just don't know. And, but do the next best thing. How do you move forward? Do the next best thing for the glory of God. And say, so, okay, I've got something I need to do, but it'll be the next thing I should do for God. So this works if you're in grief. This works if you're struggling with a major decision. You've got all these things to handle. Do the next best thing. And then you do that move on, do the next best, or rather don't move on, move forward, do the next best thing. And so that's kind of what David does here. He goes, 
he makes a decision, and then while he's there, he does the next best thing. What's the best thing he could do? Destroy Judah's enemies and take out these guys that Saul is not taking out because he finally has an opportunity to do that, and he seizes that opportunity. Mick, is there anything you want to add from this, uh, this first section here? Um, and yeah, I'm just unmuting myself because I'm being careful uh, because sometimes there's background noise over here. Um, one of the things I think is very big here, especially, uh, is, is here in verse 11, where it talks about David not leaving anyone behind. Um, and I just kind of want to tease that a little bit because we're going to see how that plays into the following chapter. Yeah. And we got, we got to, you know, finish out this, um, this because actually bleeds into chapter 28. I forgot about that. Here's on the sheet. And because number, number verse one and two, in those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Akish said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. So Akish is, uh, I forget how they describe it. Like a, uh, they have like five rulers of the Philistines, like a pen, penta, I forgot how they put it. Penta something. There's five of them, and Akish is one of them. And so these five guys are getting together, and they're realizing that they got this David like a tiger on a chain, and they're like, okay, uh, we don't know if we trust him or not. Akish, we think you trust him, but we don't know if we trust him. So um, how do we know if we're going to trust him? If he goes to war against Saul, oh, we'll trust him then. So he's saying, you, you got to accompany me. And so David here, what, what's he going to do? So David says, well, then you're going to see for yourself what I'm going to do. And again, that's a non-committal answer. And Akish replied, well, very well. I make you my bodyguard for life. Well, there you go. David put a, was put in an impossible situation, and he carefully is non-committal. To move forward, David has to trust God to handle his business. And remember, we just had that a couple chapters ago, with, especially with Nabal. God handled that business. And so David just has to trust God here. And when he says in Psalm 31, I trust you, my times are in your hands, God, it's like, when you, when you do the next best thing, you're trusting God to handle his business. You're not trying to handle God's business. But you're trusting God. And that's David. And this next chapter is just a crazy chapter. Sorry, Lord, I don't mean to call your Bible crazy. Um, some of, I remember growing up, there was a movie that was very popular called Ghost. Remember that movie? Kind of romantic thing where you, get, you see a ghost and you can be able to interact with that ghost or whatnot. And I wish I could just say that was just completely um, out, out of the blue. But chapter 28, Saul, scene one. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or the Urim or prophets. Saul said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium. It's like a necromancer. So I may go and inquire of her. I love this next verse because I'm a Star Wars guy. There is one in Endor. Sorry, George Lucas, that is not your word. You know, Endor, the, the, the moon of Endor, where all the Ewoks are, yep, 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 those guys, okay. There's one in Endor, they said. Yeah. All right. So scene one there. Um, 
we get this unique thing here where Samuel's dead. So there goes your prophet. And so you've got the three major offices of, in Israel, prophet, priest, and king. The prophet's gone. Yeah, there was like schools of prophets or whatnot. But next, you've got the priests. What happened to the priests? Saul killed them. They're all gone. Yeah, one escaped and he's with David. By and large, they're all dead. And that's it. And so Saul dealt with the external, but not the internal. What do I mean by that? The text here says that, that Saul got rid of all the, the, uh, the, the spiritists and the mediums. He got rid of them all. And okay, that's good. But a lot of people, when they know they need to make a change and they know they're struggling with a sin or a habit that they really shouldn't be, that, that needs to stop, or, uh, God was constantly telling the kings of Israel and Judah, get rid of these people because they're going to ensnare you. And Saul, he got rid of them. Saul actually did a good thing. Sure, he did the external. But as this text reveals, you can get rid of stuff on the outside, but your inside's still looking forward to it. And when your inside is still looking forward to it, so for example, if I see a bag of chips in my house, if that bag of chips stays closed, I'm good. I will not open that bag of chips. I am a good boy. Once that bag of chips is open for any reason, I'm tempted beyond anything. And I'm always going to be grazing and coming by. And, and so I could take all the snack foods. My kids wouldn't like this. I could take all the snack foods and just dump them out. When I go grocery shopping, I don't get a bunch of snack foods anyway. Um, you can get rid of all the external. But you know the internals there. If you're, if you're really wanting something, um, I may not be a rich man, but I can wreck a dollar menu at the drive-thru. And I can get rid of all the snack food in my house and still go to a McDonald's drive-thru and eat two days worth of calories in one drive-thru setting. It's like when the internal is still present, you can get rid of all the external. When the internal is still there, you will find a way to get it. And Saul finds a way here. It's like, yeah, he does the big showy thing, gets rid of all the mediums and necromancers. Goodbye, people. But it's like Whoopi Goldberg's character in that ghost movie. He gets rid of all of them, but he still wants to go find one because inside he still wants that. Well, and then he has kind of a, a foxhole prayer of last resort that didn't bring any satisfaction. And yeah, you see, David, David is somebody that contrast David and Saul. David is somebody who's consistently inquiring of God and he cares about what God says and he wants to follow what God says. So he's always inquiring, always wanting to know what God has to say and how God is directing him. Saul? Saul's been very consistent with a disregard for God. So when we read here, Saul's inquiring of God. Yeah, it's a little too little too late. It's like um, someone saying, oh, I wish I could worship God. Well, then why did you burn down the church? I wish I could worship God, but why'd you kill all the priests? I wish I had someone to help me with my direction. I wish I knew what God was going to tell me. But why'd you kill all the, why did you not follow the prophet? Why'd you kill all the priests? I don't think that follows Saul. This foxhole prayer is not going to, it's not like God's going to all of a sudden go, oh yes, finally. Finally, Saul is going to be right. No, it's too little too late, Saul. God has already moved on from you. And thankfully, by God's grace, he doesn't always do that with us. And God is very slow. And he's very wanting to, 
slow in judgment to allow us to repent. And Saul is living a long life. And Saul could have repented many times, it seems. Saul has a constant, a consistent disregard for God's word. And you know what? God becomes a last option for him. When God is your last option, what's that communicate about how you think about God? If you only pray to God in a foxhole prayer situation, that's not, that's not much of a, an act of faith. Okay, God, I tried letters A through Y, and you know what? I'm glad you're at Z because I'll try you next. It's like God is not a great buffet where you can try this dish and tomorrow you'll try that dish. God is a very exclusive relationship. And God expects that exclusive. When God says in the Ten Commandments, you should have no other gods before me, nobody's in God's category. So why would you treat God as if he has others in his category? Like the Oscars, the nominee for best picture, and they read off four names, all in the same category. God has nobody in his category. So why do we act like God does? Saul definitely does. And Saul is literally going to the other place here. And yeah, verse six, Saul had no personal relationship. He killed the priest and rejected the prophet. Saul repealed, but didn't replace. He got rid of evil, but didn't replace it with good. In your life, if you are struggling with a hurt, a habit, or a hangup, if there's a sin that will not leave you alone, if you are not growing when you should be growing, there's things you need to stop doing. There's things you need to get rid of. Those things um, are evident to you. Anytime you pray, God, show me these idols in my life. God's quick to answer that prayer. In fact, God's probably telling you something right now. I know he's telling me a couple of things. But you can get rid of things. But you've got to put in new habits. You can't just get rid of, you can't just repeal and not replace. You've got to bring in good things. So, for example, here's what Saul could have done. He could have gotten rid of all the necromancers and all, all the Whoopi Goldbergs from the movie Ghost in his land. And then he could have said, you know, we're lacking some prophets. Let's see if we can find a way to, to increase our, 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 our God people. We're getting rid of the enemy. That's good. But now we got to have some other, we need to have God's people in here. Let, let's somehow give God glory with these kind of people. Maybe God can have more prophets, the schools of prophets. You see that in Elijah's time and in Elisha's time. There are schools of prophets that are serving. And so like, that's a possibility. And so get, Saul could have done that. You've got something in your life and you need to stop. But don't just stop. You need to replace it with something, but good. Cease doing evil, but replace it with something good and, and holy and a good habit to form. It's not, not enough to get rid of a bad habit. Replace it with a good habit. There you go. That's just something, and Saul could have done that, but he, he, he chooses not to, and he didn't replace anything with good. Now, scene two is a fun scene, the most unique in the whole Bible. It raises so many questions. We don't even know what to do with this half the time. We just have to take it at face value and just let, let the text speak. Let the text do its thing, and I want to open with this verse here. Because there are people who say, oh, you know, I won't let my kids watch Harry Potter because of the mediums and the spiritists and the magical wands and that kind of stuff. I don't want to celebrate Saul going to the witch at Endor. And so there's no way this text happened the way it did. Well, I put to them this verse on the page here. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That implies that there is a devil and he is scheming. And his scheming is such of, of such worth and power that you have to react to it. 
by putting on armor, spiritual armor. So I'm not at all surprised when Saul goes to the Witch of Endor that it works. Not at all. It's, it's, it's interesting. Well, I digress. Well, let's get there. 8 to 20. Big text here. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night, he and two men went to the woman. Consult the spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off all the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for me, for my life to bring about my death? Okay. What, what, do, you, what do you mean, have me, have me be a, a necromancer? Don't you know the necromancers die? Are you going to have me be like one of the people you want me to call up? Because, you know, if I do what you ask me to do, someone's going to come get me. Okay. Uh, so Saul swore to her by the Lord. The Hebrew there, Yahweh. That's God's holy name. Don't you love how Saul can just drop that name at a moment's notice? Wow, Saul. Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, who shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. Now it gets kind of cool. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice. She shrieked and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You're Saul. I don't know why, by the way. I don't know why now she gets it. There's that great irony here uh, in, in number 11, the irony of the medium. What's the irony of the medium? Um, yeah, pull up somebody for me, but don't you won't recognize me when I'm hiding in secret. Um, yeah, Saul, um, we remember you. You were the tallest guy in the entire land. You were gorge a gorgeous, tall, strapping guy. There was nobody like you. I don't think you're going to be able to hide. But here you are changing your outfit and she's not going to see you. Then she says, oh, there's Samuel. Now she realizes who you are because Samuel was bought by you. The prophet consults with the king. Ah, here it is. Why'd you deceive me? You're Saul. So she's freaking out here. Number one, we're left to wonder. And some, some people who, who are really skeptical of this text they look at this text and they say, ah, see, she wasn't, it's all a bunch of hooey. It doesn't, this it doesn't work. All the, 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 the psychic hotlines and the palm readings, all that kind of stuff, it doesn't work. And she really, it was all just a scam, like a Ponzi or like a, a shell game or something where she wasn't expecting to bring anybody up. And it was all just a take your money kind of thing. And all of a sudden it works and she freaks out. I'm not sure. Take the text at face value. She exists. And she knows what she can do because she right away tells the one asking her to do something. I'm not going to do it because, I mean, if she was a charlatan, she'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see what we see. All right, hold on here. Oh, uh, yes, I'm seeing somebody that's uh, born in the month of January to December, uh, July. Yeah, July. There it is. And so, and so that's how they do that in those shows. They kind of play that game. If she was a charlatan, she would have played that game with the text. It's like, she's a medium. She's going to figure this out. And she doesn't want to do it because then she's going to die. And then all of a sudden, she pulls up Samuel. But it doesn't look like that Saul can see Samuel. And we're going to see that here. The king said to her, you're Saul. Don't be afraid. 
what do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. This is kind of, kind of, kind of creepy here. I mean, it's just the way it is. Well, what does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up. And for some reason, that just ended the game for Saul. Oh, that's him. An old man wearing a robe. I won't it could have been any other old man, but no, no, old man wearing a robe, there it is. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, and this is what we've been waiting for. We want to know what the heck, someone who is dead in God and in this kind of in-between state, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like in this, the Hebrew calls it the Old Testament Sheol, where you're going to, it's like this grave. And it's almost like the porch of, of heaven where you're not there yet. But you're kind of like you're absent with the body, but present with the Lord, Paul would later say. And so we're not expecting, because we, we hear this with, with, with the uh, the rich man and Lazarus and the, the rich man's like, well, go tell my brothers. And he's looking for a little bit of drop of water on his tongue and let Lazarus do this for me. And then go tell my brothers and, 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 and Abraham in the story is like, no. There's no going back and forth or whatnot. So this is brand new and novel. We're not expecting this at all. So we're really interested in what the heck is Samuel going to say here? And I bet he's not going to be happy. And, and I learned this in Grief Share where it, anyone who's lost a loved one, think about that for one second. Well, I would give anything to have them back for one more day. Um, Christian, do you know where they're at? Do you know how profoundly selfish that is? I wish they could be with me and stop being with Jesus. No, let them be with Jesus. They, they're in their reward. And here's, here's Samuel's being taken out from that reward. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. <laughs> oh, the irony, Saul. So much irony here. And we have the, the, the irony of the medium, number 11 here, the, the involving of God's name with sin, the shocking success. Number 12, the irony of the submission of Saul to the dead Samuel. Tell me what to do. You bozo, that's all Saul, Samuel was doing his whole life with you, is trying to tell you what to do, what God expects of you, and you didn't do it. But now that he's dead and no longer can tell you what to do, now... Now you want to tell you what to do? Really? Really, Saul? Well, tell me what to do. Samuel said, why do you consult me? Now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David, because you did not obey the Lord to carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. The Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. Ooh, this is creepy right here. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. That's a mic drop moment right there. Tomorrow, you're going to be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he'd eaten nothing all that day and all that night. Most likely, the, the, the necromancer, if it was like other kinds of necromancy back then, they fasted, and they did this whole big production. And uh, so he's probably been fasting. And so, wow. 
Joel. Yes, sir. This is where I wanted to interject. He didn't take care of the Amalekites completely. And again, going back to the uh, previous chapter, David, when he was wiping out his enemies, he would wipe them out completely. It's one of those very important things that um, God doesn't like compromise. Hmm. And, and when you're talking about, and again, and I, and I love the fact that it's the Amalekites because we know one of his surviving descendants is Agag, and, and he played the role in the book of Esther. This is the consequence of that sin not having dealt with it back when. That's right. God doesn't play with compromise. And Samuel doesn't really tell him much new things here. He's asking for direction. Samuel told him basically what he had already told him. Mm-hmm. The only thing new he said was the prophecy he added to the end uh, by, you know, yeah. this time tomorrow you're, you're, you're going to be with me. And as in, you're going to be dead, you and your sons. And then that's the sad part because, you know, we, we all love his son, Jonathan, and we don't want to see him die, but he's going to die. And all of his sons are going to die, save one. And the, his crippled Mephibosheth. And he's just kind of like a, another great illustration of the, the, the impotency of the Saul dynasty. The only one that survives is a cripple. And it just kind of describes everything for Saul. And so much another thing we need to see. Oh, sorry, Joel. Go ahead. Uh, another thing we need to see here is that Saul's not really repentant, and it, this reminds me a lot about when, um, when in Exodus it spoke about the Pharaoh. The first time it talks about the hardening of the heart, it says the Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then afterwards, or, or it was vice versa, God hardens his heart, and then Pharaoh hardens his heart. In other words, basically, it goes hand in hand. You know, God allows you to harden your heart. Saul had already hardened his heart. And the further evidence of this, besides not killing the Amalekites, is the fact that he killed off the priesthood. And I think that that's very telling about who Saul as a king was. That's why people say, but isn't he being repentant now? Isn't he seeking God now? No, not really. Again, this is a man that would just go on and, and kill the priesthood. David, on the other hand, even though God kind of initially told him no because of the I think we lost you there, buddy. Uh, you had, had, a, had a good thing there. I think that I think the, the audio there. I found this verse here. Check this out. This is this is uh, this is Saul's situation. It's a later a later prophet, Amos. Amos chapter eight, verse eleven to twelve. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching from the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. You see, we're not, we're not surprised when Isaiah, when it says, seek the Lord while he may yet be found. It's, we think of this God, he's just a great, tolerant, inclusive God. That he just, all he's just waiting for you to do your part and he's going to do his part. There's going to be a point where God says no more. And history is going to end. And where God's patience with Saul ran out. And we're so used to, we're so used to like a first John 1, 9 God. Like, okay, God's going to, you know, if I, if I confess my sins, God's going to do his part. No, there, there's repentance there. And repentance is like the gift tag. Mick was highlighting that on the repentance idea. Did Saul repent? No. It's like the gift tag that says to and from. You're turning to and turning from. 
And you should be turning to God and turning from you. Deny yourself, pick up your cross. And so at no point does Saul ever turn from himself. David, when he gets confronted, he writes Psalm 51. It says, you know, against you alone have I sinned, God. And so, so yeah, we're reading Amos at chapter 8, 11 to 12. At some point, God, God's predicting it. You're not going to find me anymore. And that, that's where Saul's at. He's at the great, like, troubled part of his life. And he, all he wants is God's word. Finally, wants God's word, by the way. It's like he's had God's word all this time. It's like conveniently wants God's word. Really. So that Bible that's on your shelf, it's like you dust it off. It's like you've had it all this time. You've been going to church all this time, hearing all these sermons and praying. It's like at some point, it's like you, you, you just, you've had God. You've had a church that loves you and wants to teach you. You've had the Holy Spirit. It's like, are you not keeping in step with the Spirit? Are you not producing these fruit on the branches of the tree that is your life? Like, what is your deal? Yeah you are either glorifying God or you're not glorifying God. And at some point, I guess enough is enough. I don't know. I, I'm not your judge. He, you're not mine. But with Saul here, enough was enough. The, 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 the die is cast. It's over. There's nothing he's going to do here that's going to be different. And listen to the way he plays with Samuel here. He wants Samuel to turn back the clock. And... Um, he, he, he wants Samuel to, let's go back to the way things were. Well, if you want to go back to the way things were, Saul, you got to go back to the very beginning. The first couple times Saul Samuel talked to you, I think you obeyed. And then all of a sudden you didn't. And you really started not to. So he wants to go back in time. Like, okay, I, I, want, I, want, I want that again. So please, I found this. Please let us turn back the clock to those first days when I actually listened to you, Samuel. Please ignore this medium standing right here and the illicit way I've contacted you. Please forget all the previous times you've criticized my character in the past. Please also forget the way that I've recklessly sought to kill David, even as I ignored the true enemy, the Philistines. Just please tell me what to do now. There's nothing new. It's too little too late. Exactly right. It's... What more is God going to say? You didn't turn to, you know, from a Christian standpoint, it's like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Is there something else? Are you waiting for one more thing? It's like you've got, I mean, that's it. I mean, it's, it's God's the perfect judge. That's He's the one who's in control. You either accept his plan of salvation or you don't. And if you think you can argue with God, you think you can play with God, no, this is it. And Saul, um, it was too little too late. And yeah, Samuel reiterated the previous judgment and prophecies one final time, prophesized one final time against Saul. So blue thing here, when it comes to counsel, the Christian never, ever needs anything new. If you've got a Christian or someone in your life, like, I just got to have something new. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. We never need anything new. Now, there might be novel ways to describe God's word. There might be novel and, and intriguing ways to present God's word, to preach God's word, to teach God's word. There might be a great new illustration to, this, to, to shine the light on God's word, but God's word is enough. It is sufficient. We need nothing new. Beware any church or group that says we have new material. Beware. The Bible is sufficient. We need nothing new. So we're not surprised when Samuel had nothing new to say to Saul. 
Yeah, he had the prophecy at the end, reminding him you're going to be dead tomorrow. But that's not, that's not the help that Saul's looking for. Saul's looking for help. And Samuel told him what he's told him before. He added the part at the end, but that's not going to help him. We can't turn back the clock to proclaim the olden days, but we can learn and proceed further. So you can't go back to those golden days. I know sometimes you want to. You want to go back. If I could just turn back time and stop this one thing or do this one thing, you can't. But you can learn. You can trust God, and you can move forward. And uh, magic's goal, uh, magic and kind of this... Anytime you see magic in the Bible, and it's, it, the Greek word is pharmakia, and we get the word for pharmacy from that word. Um, magic had its goal of control. If you had kind of a spell or something like that, you think of it like a, um, those cheesy, like uh, those love potions, where if I drink this potion, the next person I see is going to fall in love with me. It's like there's a control thing there. It's like this potion, this spell is going to get me to have control over something. And magic's goal was manipulation and control. So what's the subtle, think about for a second, I want you to write on, uh, maybe you've got a page, I, this, this isn't printed out before you. I want you to analyze yourself for one second. What ways are you subtle about your control when it comes to God? Have you ever said things like this? I'm doing my part, God. I didn't want to go to church this week, but I'm here. God, I can't afford a lot right now, but I'm making my tithe regular. God, I'm tired, but I, I still prayed today. God, I'm serving when I don't want to serve. God, I'm doing these things. Is there any, is there any subtle manipulation in your walk? Where you're sitting there to yourself saying, God, I'm doing my part. And we were not surprised, God, I say this almost every time I bring this up, commandment number two, you don't know graven images. It's like the moment you make an idol, you have to mow the lawn around that idol. You have to wipe away the, the pigeon poop from the top of that statue or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're going, God, I wiped away the poop. God, I mowed the lawn. God, your idol looks really great. God, so when are you going to scratch my back now? Because I've certainly been scratching yours. See, that's magic. That's the control. So if that's going on in your heart, knock it off. It's like, look for the subtle control you might try to pull with God. That's something that we need, to, a great application for this text. It's, that's what magic does. Magic controls. If you're ever that way with God, you're manipulating God. And in the best relationships, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friendship, if manipulation is there, that relationship most likely is going through an unhealthy phase. A healthy relationship has no selfish manipulation. Healthy relationships are selfless. They are service. And that's what love is. Lust is selfish. Love is service. It's selfless. If you have manipulation, you most likely are going through an unhealthy phase. And if it's that way with you and God, you're not going to be able to manipulate God. So you know. Um, but what ways do you think it? Are you, are you looking for something? Okay, God, I did my part and I'll do yours. There's, I mean, it's just think about that. And if, it, if it's that way, it's like, stop. Stop trying to manipulate God. Is it okay if I do this, God's going to be happy with me. And if I don't do this, God's not going to be happy with me. So I'm going to do this and manipulate God because I really want this in my life. And God's not going to answer my prayer unless I first 
rub his shoulders, spiritually speaking. That's not the way God works. God at no point is dependent upon me or you. If God's dependent upon you, he's not God anymore. You're just a little bit God, and he's a little bit not God. And so Saul, scene three here, 21 to 25, when the woman came to Saul, Saul, that he was greatly shaken, she said, look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands, did what you told me to do. Now, please listen to your servant. Give, let me give you some food so you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. Let me get Saul, the, the, the depressed Saul here at the end. But his men joined the woman in urging him, and he, and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on the couch. Now, the woman goes right to Luke 15. Remember when the prodigal son comes home? What's the dad say? Kill the fattened calf. This is like if the president comes over, you kill the fattened calf. Like This is like a, a meal for a king. The woman had a fattened calf at the house, which she butchered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night they got up and left. The woman fed Saul his last meal. He might have eaten in the morning. I don't know, but he's depressed, and he's going to die tomorrow. I imagine he's not going to eat before his battle. Uh, the next time you hear from Saul, he's going to fall on his sword, and he's going to commit suicide. And that's not a very stable guy anyway. So the woman fed Saul his last meal, a kingly meal, for one who will soon be not. He's not going to be of this world. He's not going to be king much longer. David had ascended to new heights, and Saul had sunk the new lows. So how will you move forward this week, my friends? This season of your life, maybe you've got a current situation. Maybe you're facing a decision you need to make. Maybe you're dealing with the very desires of your heart. How will you move forward? Don't ever let someone tell you, oh, move on. No, we don't move on. We never move on. But by God's grace, we can You don't just move on. You don't give life the Heisman pose and keep it away from you. No, but you can move forward. And how do you move forward? I put down there at the bottom, I don't know if I can raise it up here. It's W-A-I-T. Okay, it's hard to see on the page there. My apologies. How should you wait? How should you move forward? The W stands for your walk. Is your walk honoring God? How you live this life, the things you do? And is, it, is, your, is your walk honoring God? Like your Christian walk, are you honoring God by how you wait? But I'm in a bad situation. Okay. We're all in quarantine. None of us really like this situation. We're all, most of us staying at home. Some of us get to go out. All of us, you know, if we do go out and have to wear a ridiculous mask, have to have to keep six feet away, people who are extroverted like me want to just hug everybody. And well, you can't do any of that stuff. I go out with my kids right now. They don't understand boundaries at all. They just run to people. Like, ah, this is hard. Life is not easy right now. And there's this great fear of the unknown. Where am I going to get this? Or am I going to suffer with this? And we just don't know. And our, and our, and our, our businesses are being affected. Our livelihoods are being affected. Some of us can't make ends meet because of this or that. It's hard. So how are you to be right now? Number one, your walk. Your walk better communicate something. Number two, your attitude. The A is attitude. W-A-I-T, wait. Your walk, your attitude. We, had, we looked at that one week. What attitude? When David had that attitude with, uh, with Nabal and Abigail, and Abigail corrected his attitude, and it helped him out in a great way. Your attitude better be giving God glory. I is 
the weird one, your intellect. Well, I don't have intellect. Yes, you do. You're, you are all smart people because you're in my class. You're wonderful people who use your brain. And you're, you're expected to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Okay? I had to use an I for the weight, so it's intellect. How are you with your thoughts? Are you using your thoughts like David uses his thoughts here? Or are you just trying to follow your heart? Okay, well, I'll just go this way now and that way. Maybe I'm going to think about what God's doing here. David looked at this and said, well, maybe God's opening a door here to go to Akish and Gath. I'm going to go here. Hey, that worked. I think God was behind it. Um, here I am. And to look at your life through heaven's eyes, to really see what God is doing here, your walk better be glorifying to God, your attitude, your, your intellect, to finally tee your trust. What does your trust communicate about you? What does it communicate about God? You always trust in something. The chair I'm sitting in, I'm trusting in this chair. David trusted in God. He said, my times are in your hands. Jesus said, you trust in God, trust also in me. John 14. Who is it? Who is the object of your trust? Oh, it's Jesus. Is it? Well, good for you. Your walk better show it. Your attitude better show it. And your thought life, your intellect better also show it. Well, I can't control what I think. That's actually wrong. It takes a lot of work to control your thoughts. But scripture tells us to take captive our thoughts, to guard our heart, and to take captive our thoughts. How you walk, the words you say, the attitudes you have, the things you do, the thoughts you think, and how you trust. Oh, my goodness. If you were able to do those four things, wait, W-A-I-T, that's how you move forward. That's how you know what to do, the next best thing to glorify God. And you keep doing that.